Good morning. It's great to be here with you on another beautiful morning in Georgia. Wherever you are around the world, we want to thank you for tuning in as we discuss Hebrews chapter 5, Jesus as our high priest. Now, what is a high priest? Why in the world do we need one? Or why in the world should we even care about the high priest, what a high priest is? And that sounds like a bunch of... uh, Old Testament stuff that doesn't relate to us anymore. You know, we have pastors these days. We don't have the high priest, right? Uh, so what? So what is it talking about here in Hebrews chapter five? Jesus as the high priest, and well, you have to remember that that uh, it's talking to a bunch of Jewish Christians. So the Old Testament formed their life. It formed their understanding of approaching God. So, so you, have to, you have to read. You have to look at some of the Old Testament. You have to look at the book of Leviticus. Yeah? Uh, we have uh, 15 or 16 teachings, a series on the book of Leviticus, beginning with chapter 1. And uh, it's, it's a convicting. And you read that, you, you listen to those studies, and you'll get an idea of, what the priest is all about, what the priest did, and it's referenced here in uh, Hebrews chapter 5. So I have, uh, the second I read this, I said, Lord, protect me from going into the rabbit hole of Leviticus, uh, because this isn't a Bible study on Leviticus. But here we go. For every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men and things pertaining to God, that they may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. Who can, have, who can have compassion on the ignorant and on them who are out of the way, for that he himself also is compassed with infirmity. And by reason hereof he ought, as for the people, so also for himself to offer for sins. And no man takes this honor unto himself, but he who is called of God, as was Aaron. So here we have uh, the first four verses establishing the concept of three, three ideas of what a high priest is all about and why it's important. And so if you hang with me just a little bit, I think you'll find that there's some value in, in looking at this idea of a high priest. Because, see, based on the Scriptures... We are not allowed to approach God with our own ideas, in our own way. In other words, uh, I, I about 15 years ago maybe or something like that, I talked to a guy in a setting. It was it was a it was a uh, at a gym, and he said something like, "I don't know why I need Jesus to talk to God. Why do I need Jesus? I can just." interact with God on my own. And I wish I had read the book of Leviticus. I wish I I really understood the book of Leviticus in that moment because I think I would have had a better response. I don't remember exactly what I said. But see, this guy had the idea that, that he could approach God with his own means, with his own understanding, with his own desires. And scripturally speaking, though, 
God says, you can't approach me unless you do it through the mediator that I've established. In other words, we're sinful people. And if you come into my presence without dealing with your sins, uh, then you're taking your life in danger. Now let me say that again. Why do we need a priest? Why, why was the priest important? Well, because the priest, the priest dealt with the sins, his own sins, and the sins of the people before God, so that, so that they, the presence of God could be among the people. But the presence of God cannot come and be among the people if sin is undealt with, if sin is ignored, if, if, if sin is seen as something that you don't have to, you don't have to worry about it. It says here that, in verse 1, that He may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. And so that was one of the main roles of the priest, is to, to deal with people's sins before God through the sacrificial system. And so, when you read Leviticus 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, it talks about the five main sacrifices. You talk about the burnt offering and the guilt offering and the meat offering. And all of the offerings, the five main sacrifices, the peace offering. And, and you couldn't come before God without having your sins dealt with. So the question I want to ask this morning, first and foremost, is, are you in a place where you understand that, that your sins need to be dealt with? Or are you still pretending that your sins aren't really that important? See, it's not a question. We say this all the time around here. It's not a question of whether you have sins. Because we all do. Let me say it again. It's not a question of whether you have sins. Because we all do. The issue is, have you come to a place where you know that your sins have got to be dealt with or else God can't bless you? That's, that's the most important place that you've got to come to. Is Have you come to a place where you know that your sins have to be dealt with or else God can't bless you? Secondly, are you willing to come to God through the mediator, Jesus Christ? Or are you trying to create your own means for approaching God? Oh, that's a really dangerous thing. That's a really dangerous thing. Now, let's look here, real quick. Three things that the priest established here in verses 1 through 4. Three things. The priest dealt with sins for himself and the people before God. The priest is supposed to identify with the weaknesses of the people... And then third, the priest must be appointed by God. It's not a self-appointment. Nobody can assume the role of representing the people before God. And so, the first four voice, verses establish these three things about what it means to be a priest before God. And then, verses 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, explain how Jesus fulfills all three of these things perfectly. Okay? So let's let's take a look here. Let's take a look here. The priest must be appointed. Okay? So that's that's uh, verse 4. And we're going to talk about that a little bit because it talks about Melchizedek, and that's very essential to really the whole rest of this piece that goes all the way through chapter 10 of Hebrews. Okay? Really 
really beginning now with chapter 5 all the way through chapter 10, it's going to be laying out this argument that Jesus is, is, a, is a high priest that's better than the old covenant and is actually the high priest of a new covenant and that goes all the way through chapter 10. So this is a major section here that, uh, and Melchizedek is essential. So it says in verse 4, No man takes this honor, the honor of being a high priest, unto himself, but he who is called of God, as was Aaron. In other words, nobody could just say, I feel like being a priest today, so I'm going to do it. There's a couple of guys that got in big trouble doing that. Now, in Exodus uh, 28, verses 1, 2, and 3, God established Aaron as his sons as the high priest. Okay, It's called the Aaronic priesthood. It's an Old Testament thing. You know, you think, well, that doesn't really relate to me. Well, it relates to you in the sense that, that uh, it's, a, it's a precursor to Jesus. Okay? And it's the idea that, that we need somebody to go between us and God because we can't get to God unless our sins are dealt with. And so we need a mediator. But it can't be just anybody. It's got to be somebody who was appointed by God. You know, the, uh, the priesthood was challenged in number 16. I don't know if you remember that. It's called the Rebellion of Korah. Oh, that's a, that's a scary story. These guys come up and they say, Moses and Aaron, they're no good. God didn't really call them. They went against the Lord's anointed. And the ground opened up and swallowed them. Whoa! Look, there's a lot of pastors out there who aren't perfect, but they stand for Jesus and they stand for the Holy Spirit. Don't go against them the ground might just swallow you up. That's all I'm saying. Then, a bunch of people got mad about that, so a plague broke out and 14,000 people died from the plague because the, the priesthood that was established by God was challenged. They tried to take it over. Then in 1 Samuel 13, Saul gives the sacrifice. He gets scared. He, he, he doesn't wait for Samuel to come and do the sacrifice. So Saul does the sacrifice himself. He, he assumes the role of a priestly function. Man, that made God mad. That you're not supposed to be doing, doing the sacrifice, Saul. So God removes Saul as king and removes the, the lineage of Saul from inheriting the kingdom. And it's given to David. Another example, Second Chronicles, Uzziah who was the king Uzziah, he offered incense before the Lord and was struck with leprosy immediately. God said, no, that's, that's a priestly duty. You can't just come in here and do whatever you want. It has to be a priest. In other words, we've got to do it God's way. We can't come to God on our own terms. So, what's God's way now? Well, it's Jesus. And we're talking about... So then, in verses uh, 5, 6, and... Uh, 7, we get into this idea of Melchizedek. And we're going to camp out there for just a minute. Now, Melchizedek, in verses uh, 5 and 6, and also Christ glorified not himself to be made a high priest, but he who said unto him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. 
as he said also in another place, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. In other words, even though Jesus was the Son of God, He had to allow the Father to anoint Him as the priest through a promise, through a prophecy, through Melchizedek. So, now what does Melchizedek have to do with you? That, that's really the challenge as anybody teaching this Bible study is, what in the world does Melchizedek have to do with you? Well, Melchizedek is kind of this, uh, kind of this weird figure that comes out of nowhere in the book of Genesis. It's in, uh, it's in, uh, Genesis, where is it? Genesis, uh, 14, I think it is, or maybe 13. Got to write it down. But Abraham had just rescued his son Lot from all these armies. And then brought him back and brought brought all these uh brought brought Lot back and uh, fourteen. And then out of nowhere, in verse eighteen of Melchizedek, so Abram brings back Lot and all his family and all the spoils, and then out of nowhere, Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be the Most High God who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he, meaning Abraham, gave him tithes of all. In other words, Abraham tithed to Melchizedek. Everything that he just, all the spoils of what he just got. And so the psalm, Psalm 110 says that Jesus, okay, so we have two parallel priesthoods, the Aaronic priesthood and then we have the Melchizedek priesthood. The idea is that Melchizedek is a man who represents an eternal priesthood and that's Jesus. In other words, Jesus is representing the forgiveness of your sins before the Father all day and all night, every day, unending to the end of time represents that your sins are totally wiped out, forgiven, and cleansed. Now, if that doesn't, if that doesn't do something for you, I don't know what else to do. Maybe you're just ignoring your sins, that you have sins, or, or, that, or that that's something that you don't want or you don't need. And I want to ask you to check, check your head on that because, man, your sins are forgiven in Jesus. And Jesus is representing the Father in the heavenlies. Not only that, but going on a little more, verse 7, so, so Jesus fulfills this idea of being a priest who's appointed by the order of Melchizedek. But not only that, but Jesus is one who can identify with your human weakness. And that's one of the things that, that's laid out here, that a priest is supposed to be able to identify with the weaknesses of the people. Alright, so now I have to say a word to pastors. I have to say a word to pastors. It's very clear when you find a pastor who can identify with the weaknesses of the congregation and when, one, and when there's one who, who has no ability to do it. Those pastors who don't know how to interact with 
the humanity of those who are in their church stand at the pulpit and give a book report. Okay? They give a theological dissertation and then the people leave the church building worse than they came in. And I hate to tell you, but there's, there's pastors like that all over the place. And it's, it's, it's not that they might not have a call. It, you know, there's some people who don't have a call, by the way, and they're pastors. Okay, that's a different thing. They've assumed the role of a pastor and there's no call. You should not be in the pulpit. You should not be pastoring a church. There's people out there like that and, you know, that it happens. It happens. Uh, but there's many pastors who are called, but they have not figured out how to work with the humanity of the congregation. In other words, uh, the needs of the people are too great for them, and so they feel overwhelmed. And so what we have begun to do is refer, is refer human need to secular professionals who charge $150 an hour. Did I say that too loud? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just saying something that I... Now, I do believe there's a place for uh, clinical professionals, but man, they gotta be they, they got to be Christians, and they got to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You can't send some people who's, who, who has gone through significant trauma, who's trying to overcome addictions who's trying to overcome horrible things in their life, you can't send them to some secular place who's going to just put them on a, on a bunch of pills and, and try to get them to survive. You know, you've got, to send them, you've got to know that you're sending them to a place that's really going to help them. And so, so be careful, you pastors out there listening. Uh, but somehow we've got to figure out... Now, now most, of the, most of the needs in, in our churches, though, most of them should be able to be addressed by the pastor. Most of them should be. But, but there's too many pastors who just feel like they, they can't do it. They're overwhelmed with their own needs. They haven't, they haven't come to a place where they've been able to start to overcome the forgiveness of their own sins and their own hurts and their own brokenness so that they can help those in their congregation. They're weak. They're depleted. So what do I say to you? Come to Rekindle the Flame, please. Come on a Brazil mission trip, please. Come to Noonan. Next Tuesday, the 12th at 6.30 and eat a little snack and have a worship service and come forward for prayer and say, God, you call me to be a pastor, but I find myself limited when it comes time to really be a pastor. Maybe I could preach a sermon, but I don't know how to pray for my people. Please, God, give me something new so I can actually minister to these people and empower them with the Holy Spirit. I hope I'm getting somewhere now. Because one of the things that our ministry is all about is finding those pastors who want to be able to do it and just feel like they, they can't break through. They, they're not sure how. Most of the time, most of the time, it, it, it doesn't take much. It just, it just takes a little touch of the Holy Spirit in the moment of need and boom, the door's flung wide open and God begins to move. It's not magic. It's not, it's not a formula. You know, it's, it's, it's not a secret. It's not something hidden. I mean, you know, the kingdom of God is revealed. Light has come. So don't hide, your, so don't hide your head in darkness. Put yourself in a place where, where you could get some light. 
And you could begin to minister to the needs of the people. What are the needs? Real life. A death in the family. Right? A death in the family. Man, that could just, that could hurt. Especially an unexpected death or, you know, something that uh, you didn't see it coming. you got to know how to minister to, to people. Marriage problems. You going to refer every single marriage problem to a professional? You can't do that. Financial problems, addictions. We've got to learn how to empower our people and not refer every single little thing outside of the church. The church has got to be a place where broken people can come and they can come to the altar and get laid hands on them and pray for and empowered and discipled in the Word and encouraged and strengthened. Okay. We can't farm out these responsibilities to professionals. If you're a pastor, you've got to learn how to work with people. You need to know how to have prayer with someone who is hurting and bless their life. Okay. I'm done with that part. Amen. Let's keep going. Now, in verse 8, though he were a son, in other words, Jesus is the Son of God. Uh, I'm not going to argue that point. If you don't believe that, then uh, you're listening to the wrong channel. Though he were a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them who obey him. Now, Jesus is the Son of God, and it, it, it says He learned obedience, and that word right there, learned, not that He learned it as in He previously disobeyed, because it was already stated that, that uh, He was without sin, though He was tempted at every point He was without sin. So, so we, I'm not going to belabor that point. It, it's not that He uh, learned obedience, meaning He was disobedient, and then He had to learn how to obey. It, it means that... It means that, that that he learned the struggle of obeying God under difficult circumstances in in human flesh. In other words, God dealt Jesus dealt with his own human weakness. No no other place greater than in the Garden of Gethsemane. By the things which he suffered. And being made perfect became the author of eternal salvation. So Jesus is now, so why do we need Jesus? Jesus is the only human being who walked the face of this earth and endured temptation and human weakness without sinning. I want to learn from Him how to do it. He's the only one that can teach me. Nobody else has ever done it before. Only Jesus has ever walked the human walk, dealt with human weakness, tempted in every way, and still didn't sin. And so, as my high priest, he is able to identify with my weakness. And actually, he's able to identify it more than any human pastor or priest because he did it, but never sinned. And so, he knows better than anyone how to walk this Christian walk. How to walk in obedience to God. 
And so that's why I need some Jesus in my life. It's because every day I wake up, there's a temptation. Man, especially with phones. Goodness gracious. You know, you turn on your phone and there's temptations just coming at you from all over the place. And I'm tell, I want to tell you that there's a lot of premeditated evil that's, that's, on, that's in, in social media. And, and, you know, it's premeditated. Uh, it's, uh, they're sort of like, they, there's these baits that are put in your, in your, in your feeds, in your news feeds, to try to get you to click here, and then, and then it, they, they get you to do another click and another click, and before you know it, I mean, you're, uh, you're just wrapped up in things that you didn't wake up thinking that you were going to be in there. So you got to be careful with technology. But you know, there's nothing new under the sun. So I'm not going to sit here and tell you that that uh, people sin more now than they than they did 2,000 years ago or anything like that. I mean, so just because we have phones doesn't mean that we're more sinners. Not at all. There might be a, a different way to do it now. <laughs> but it's not that we are more sinful or less sinful now than we than than people were before. But but I, I, I need a high priest who can minister by the power of the Holy Spirit and strengthen me because temptation is going to come at me every day and I've got to have some sort of strength inside of me to look at the face of the temptation and say, I don't want to have anything to do with that because that dishonors God. That, that dishonors... I've got to be able to... You know, the Word says back here, the Word of God is powerful. And it can discern the thoughts and intents of the heart. And as, as, as I judge by the Word the things coming at me, then I can look at something and know, that's evil. And I need to say no to that. Define it as evil. And I say, God, you've got to give me strength to say no to that because it's coming at me. And I, and I need to get away from that. And God can encourage you to do that. I believe that with all my heart. Now, the last phrase that I want to really pick up on here is he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them who obey him. Now when Jesus was in the garden of Gethsemane the strength of his ability to overcome came through prayer. I want to say that again. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and the temptations were coming at him so strongly, the strength for him to overcome came through prayer. So, are you a person who is praying these days? We come up here and we pray as much as we can uh, every morning here in the office. And we have a board where we're praying for people. And people come up to us all the time and say, thank you for praying for so-and-so. You can take them off the board. God answered the prayer. That happens a lot. It's really a blessing. The last one was, uh, was uh, uh, our friend David Nutter. He does the teachings here. and We had his mom on the board praying that God would, uh, because they were having a difficult time and how to, how to care for her. And God just 
she told the story of man that God's timing was perfect, this and that and this and that, and she and she got in a in, into a uh, a housing facility that is just perfect. She's doing well, better than ever, happy, and and God is good. I mean, what a what a blessing to be a part of something like that. But are you a person of prayer who is praying for God to strengthen you every day and help you to overcome? Because if you're not a person of prayer, then really you're depending on your own approach. See, in prayer, you're you are confessing that you need God to do something because because you're at your limit. Your weaknesses are so much that you don't have the strength to uh, to succeed in what God has called you to do in this in this world. And so you're confessing to God that you need Him to move. That, that, that you're dependent upon him, him to do something in your life by the power of the Holy Spirit to strengthen you and to give you wisdom to face the day. And so in, in, in the place of prayer is where we find strength to depend on God. And when we're depending on God, we really have a chance to overcome. And then we're also reminded that Jesus is the one that is the author of our eternal salvation. And that's the last point, right? Called of God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. To give an eternal salvation. See, the Old Testament sacrificial system was something that was didn't really take away sins. Forgiveness of sins came, but it wasn't an eternal forgiveness. It was a, really it was a temporary forgiveness because you had to come and offer the sacrifices again because uh, your sins weren't completely removed before God in, in terms of eternity. But Jesus took it away for all time. And that's the God that we serve and that's our high priest. I hope that I've done a good job of helping you understand that the high priest idea is maybe a little bit foreign to us these days. But, it's a good thing. It's a true thing. It's something that we need. So go study that a little bit. Go read more about the priesthood and what they did and how Jesus relates to it. It'll bless your life. Go, go listen to those Bible studies on Leviticus. You know? That'll really bless your life. It'll help you understand what Jesus has really done for you. What the cross is all about. Alright, thanks for being with me. It's a joy to be with you. And we'll see you tomorrow morning. Have a great day.